just love you. We thank you, Lord, that you're here with us today. Lord, not just in theory, Lord, you're here with us today. And so we just, we welcome you, we thank you, we acknowledge you. We just say you're worthy of all of our praise, all of our worship, all of our hearts, all of our lives. You're worthy of it, Lord. We thank you for the word today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to do a couple of quick things here, and then we're going to get started. Is Amy in here by chance? Amy, are you in here? Amy Ray? If you're not out here, I'll give you a minute to come out. Uh, but I actually have two things, so that's okay. I'll, I'll start with Bruce. Bruce, I... A few weeks ago, we were in worship, and, and the Lord just showed me a picture about you, and I was like, I'm going to do that. Just, uh, I'll just go to him, and I was, like, the Lord was like, no, I want you just to share this. And I, I actually saw that there's an anointing on you to open the door for people to come into the kingdom. And, and I, I really felt like that it, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm avoiding the word evangelist because I feel like it has some tags to it that, that you're like, I don't really like that. But the Lord is actually saying that he's actually gifted you with people that their hearts are ready to hear more about the kingdom. And, and you're going to actually, he's going to give you such words of wisdom and nuggets that are exactly what their hearts need to hear. And it's not going to be a lot even sometimes. It's going to be exactly what people need to hear. And they are going to just come on fire for what the Lord has going on in their life. And he says, so, so this is the, the thing I feel like the Lord wanted me to tell you is like, don't be silent. Let your voice be heard because there's people that their hearts are ready and your message and the way you're going to deliver it is a perfect medicine for the pain that's going on in their lives. And so we just release that over you now in Jesus' name. There she is. Hey, girl. Yeah, you got to have your shoes on, right? Unless you're worshiping, then you're barefoot. But... Uh, Noah, I just felt like I heard the Lord say this, and I'm like totally stepping out here, but I just heard him say it's a season of fulfilled promises for you. And, and I'm just going to say it, that I actually saw your husband running towards you. And see, everybody... But I know that the Lord began to show me, he's like, this is not just something like one day. It's actually been a dream that's been stirring up afresh. And the Lord says, I'm actually preparing the, the one just for you. And he's already running. He's already running. And so I just say, just keep, keep going out there, believing that God has it, because it's a season of fulfilled destiny. Come on, girl. If you're new with us, we rarely ever prophesy about people getting married. So don't worry. It's like we're not trying to set folks up. But when it's a season, you have to declare it, right? Because if, if we don't come into unity with it, then we can actually miss our seasons. You know that the, the word of the Lord is actually to be partnered with, not to be used as a trophy and say, well, God, you said it, so do it. If you're real, just do it. That's not how the word of the Lord works. It actually is meant to be partnered with so that it can produce what he's called it to produce. All right. Well, here we go. 
I, I've got an exciting word that I feel like the Lord's kind of been birthing in me for the last few months and just been working on it a little bit. And it really kind of started up here during a time of worship. I, I, we, were, we were in a season where we, we, how many know in spontaneous time, it really helps to have the Holy Spirit tell you what's going on? And, and I was just, I was like, God, what are you doing? And I just heard him say, there's an anointing on here to explain why we're doing what we're doing. Because he, he, he doesn't want us to be a people that do things just because we do them. Like, I don't ever want to worship just because that's how we start the service. You know, and, and the Lord just began to talk to me about why do we do what we do? And, and, and he began to then show me, he's like, I actually have a great passion to communicate to you why we do what we're doing so that it actually causes you to have a great focus and passion so that when it's coming out of you, it's never out of form. It's never out of just duty. And those of you that know me, I hate doing anything because we should. That was like my greatest passion as a teenager was to reject everything that we should be doing and no one could tell me why. Why? Because to me it was a broken model. And when we were in California uh, last week, we were at a conference and just drinking and just receiving. We were out at Reading. And, and Bill Johnson was talking and he, he was just really on this place of like challenging, are we doing anything out of form? Are we doing anything that we don't know why? Are we doing it out of lack of passion, but we're still doing it and we think we're being faithful and God's saying no. He wants us to know why we're doing it and reject the idea of form in our life. And, and really when you begin to think about the kingdom, the, everything we can do can be done out of form. You know, like reading the word. How many of you have ever read the word out of form like you should? Or, or, you, or your prayer life, you've, you, you've done your prayer life because you should. And, and we begin to see that and we begin to understand what God is saying and doing. But, but God is wanting to put such a passion in us that everything that we touch in the kingdom actually leads us to encounter. And I wrote this down. It says, I, I, I felt like the Lord was telling me that all things in the kingdom lead to the king. Everything in the kingdom should lead us to the king. It shouldn't lead us to rules. It shouldn't lead us to function. It shouldn't lead us to form. It should always lead us to the king. And everything that should be coming out of what God is teaching us and calling us to do should always lead us to a place of encounter. And, you know, we talk a lot about encounter here. Why? Because we don't want to have a religion that does not include meeting with the one we're worshiping. You know, that's the, the whole purpose of why he came for us is to be with us, right? And so I want to make sure that we're not doing things that lead us to a place of just religion. And know this, there's no fulfillment in religion. But, it, but that, we're, that we actually understand why we're doing it. And in that place, I want to tell you that, that God wants to explain why we're doing it. He wants to reveal himself. He wants to lead us to encounter. And so for me, I, I believe a really simple, simple definition of encounter is the place of knowing him more. So you can have huge encounters and you can have small encounters where you just come away with, I think I know him more than I did a minute ago. 
And every place of our gatherings together should be a place of encounter. Every time you, you get in the word, there should be a place of encounter. There should be a place of encounter in prayer. There should be a place of encounter in worship. There should be a place of encounter as you love each other. See, I don't want to just put it on the things you do. I want to see as the nature of who God is coming out of our lives should lead us into more encounter. And I begin to think about the scripture in Genesis 32 where it talks about Jacob and, 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 you know, he was in great need of an encounter. Really interesting is, you know, that, that it, the scripture often calls Jacob the God, the, the, God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, the problem was that Jacob had not yet encountered God. He was living off granddad and dad's anointing. And his name was Deceiver. That's what Jacob means. And he had deceived his way into everything. He had deceived his way into birthright. He had deceived his way into the blessing. He had deceived his way out of and ran out of the country so he didn't get killed. But it's day of reckoning because it's time to meet Esau. Oh, and Esau was the backside of all those things. He deceived them all away from Esau. How do you know Esau was a little mad? Why? Because he had been deceived by that nature over and over again. And so Jacob, in all of his manliness, sends his wives and kids first to go meet Esau. That's what it says. He sent his kids and his wives like, well, if he kills them, at least we'll know how he's doing. And, and, but in that moment, he was needing to know the nature of God. He was also needing to know who he was. But I want to tell you this, that you will never know who you are without encounter with God. It, it, they, they go together. Your identity will always be discovered in encounter with him. You can't just go on identity, you know, I'm going to go on an identity journey and learn who I am. If you're including God in the mix, you will find yourself. But if you just think, man, I've got to figure out my gifts and anointings and take all these tests and do all these things, know this, that your identity is found in encounter with the Father. And so Jacob is, he's at this place at the brook, and, and he's wondering where God is. And guess what? God jumps on his back. That's what it says in Genesis 32. And they begin to wrestle. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I would put my money on the God of the universe in a wrestling match. Yeah. <laughs> like, but somehow, God starts holding back, and Jacob starts doing pretty well. I, I can't wait to see it, because like, God's like, must be wrestling with like his pinky or something. But all of a sudden, Jacob realizes that this is no man. I'm wrestling with, and then God starts asking him questions. He says, what's your name? And Jacob says, why are you asking my name? He says, what's your name? And he says, it's Jacob. He says, no longer will you be Jacob, but you are now Israel. And you're going to be the father of many. You're going to be the one I carry out the plan with. But it was encounter. See, he had to know God more. And then he began to realize that this was God. And he says, hey, I need you to bless me. Why? Blessing always comes out of encounter. Why am I saying all that? I'm saying it because we have to understand that everything in the kingdom, everything that we're doing, everything that we're called to be always leads to an encounter with the king. And if we ever get the idea of preaching on the kingdom without understanding the king, we've missed it. And, and you know, the, the scriptures are full of talking about the kingdom of God. Why? Because he's wanting us to understand that you are in relationship with the king. And you get to be with him. But then we begin to, it begins to then get into the thing, well, why do we do the things we do, right? 
And that's where we're heading. But I want you to understand all, the question of why is going to lead us into encounter. And so I, I begin to think about why and how we ask why and what goes on with that. And, and I want to say, I'm going to show you in a minute that there's a wrong way to ask why. There's an angry way like, you know, like, why did that baby die? Or why did grandma not live 10 more years? I want to tell you that those, actually, those whys are dangerous. I'm talking about the why of like, why do I do the things? Or why are you asking me to go these places? Why? Because he wants to show you why, because he's in relationship with you. And I begin to think about an experience I had. When we were, when I was 16, no, I was 14, we moved back to Texas. We had been in Pensacola, Florida. Dad was pastoring Liberty Church down there, and we moved back here. And, and we moved out into the country, which is now the city limits. But my neighbors consisted of this, two cow pastures on each side and one little house that was a rent house. It was our rent house. And we had a young couple that had a little boy. His name was Mark. And and that was the extent of my social neighborhood. Anyone grow up like that? Like when it was time to go to town, it was like a 20-minute bike ride to get to the closest convenience store, right? So that was, that was me growing up. And there was this little guy, his name was Mark. And every time I came outside, guess who came outside? Mark. And he was probably like two or three. And he would cruise out. And, and I did not love chores. I know all of you did. You were saints when you were little. But I was not a lover of chores, Mainly because I didn't understand if we lived in the country why we need to mow our yard. <laughs> like the pasture wasn't mowed next to us. Nothing was mowed. Why are we mowing the yard? But it was the one rule. And I will tell you, the rule was if my parents were out of town, when they came home, the yard had to be mowed. And I can't tell you how many times there was flashlights taped to that thing <laughs> in the middle of the night. Like, oh, I got to beat them. They're going to show up early. We got to mow. I did not love chores. I didn't love, why? Because I love video games, man. I love doing stuff inside. I liked watching TV and, and, and you're like, oh, I thought you were the outdoorsy type. Yeah, like I like playing games. That's what I liked. And, and, but Mark would cruise out anytime I was out there and I had a pretty big chore list and he'd be like, hey, why are you doing that? <laughs> Ever been around a toddler? You're like, I'd be out there like washing my car. Like, why are you washing your car? Like, because. Because why? Because we wash our cars. It's on the list, you know, like wash the cars, you know. And he's like, why? And, and it could go forever. It was like never ending. Like he was a bottomless pit of why. Like I would run out of answers. Like, hey, like why are we mowing the yard? Like, well, I don't know. He'd be like, well, why don't you know? Like, I don't know. And, and, they, and like, well, why don't you know? I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's relentless. But. What was going on was actually, if you begin to look at science, actually at that age of life, your brain is actually firing at such a level to learn that he was a learner. And he was wanting to take in information. He was wanting to know why we do the things we do. And it's really interesting that the word learner and disciple in the Greek are the exact same. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, you should want to be a learner. And so one of the things that begins to happen is as the kingdom of God begins to come into us, all of a sudden our spirit begins to grow. Why? Because the kingdom's in there. And he's wanting you to begin to ask why we're doing what we're doing. You know, we talk about being led by the spirit, but then he's wanting to say, hey, ask me why we're going over here. 
Ask me what we're doing. Ask me why you're growing. Ask me why we're in the presence. Like, why is, why is your presence coming? I do these things because he's wanting to teach you. See, the answer I learned with Mark was this, because. Now, I didn't always have the answer, but when he would say, you know, like, why are we standing out here? And you would say, because it's a nice day. You always had a because for him. Now, again, he was relentless, and usually I just ended up taking him to his mother. <laughs> but God wants us to be like that. He wants us to begin to move into a place where he actually begins to tell us the why of what we're doing. The things of the kingdom. Why are we doing the things of the kingdom? Why do we come in here and worship? You know, why do we, why do we lift up holy hands? Why do we dance? Why do we clap? Why do we do all these things? Why? Well, first of all, they're in the scripture. Right? And he's saying, hey, this is what it looked like when people radically love me. This is what it looks like. But also, I want to explain to you what, what is going on when you're doing that. And so, it just began to develop all these things in me. And I began to think about how, actually, we ha have to be childlike to even enter into the kingdom of God, right? Isn't that what Matthew 18.3 says? You can't enter, enter the kingdom unless you're like these children. And one of the traits of children is they're inquisitive and they ask why. And God is wanting us to become a community that do not, never do things out of form, but we know why we're doing them. He wants you to know why it's good to prophesy over people in Walmart. Not just because, well, that's what we do. You know, or why is it good to lay hands on the sick? Why? Because we want to destroy decay on their life. You know, and so we begin to see these things. And I wrote this down, that knowing why... He has asked us to do things, shifts the motivation from required obedience to wholehearted partnership. Let me just say it again. Knowing why he asks us to do something shifts the motivation from required obedience to wholehearted participation. Now, I don't know about y'all, but when I know the why about something, I'm a whole lot more motivated to do it. I, I grew up playing sports, and if, if we were just learning a new play, or Lord knows, if we were just running up and down the court, I had very little motivation to do it. But when they could explain to me, hey, if you get in shape, they're going to get tired in the third quarter, and you're not going to be tired, and you're going to look amazing when they're gassed, and you're still going. It gave me the motivation to run up and down the court. Why? So I would be ready when time came. And it's the same in the kingdom where he wants to give you motivation, determination, where you actually begin to realize, hey, what I'm doing now actually is preparing me for something else. And he's wanting to teach us that through the why. So where are we going with this? Well, then you begin to understand like, wow, he has so many things. He wants to tell us why we're doing it. So I begin to craft a list. You know, like reading the word, prayer, all these things. I actually ended up with 25 things that he wanted to explain us what to do, why we do it. And I was, I had an idea of where I was going to start. And then it was like number 18, like just like jumped out at me. And, and I'm like, God, I don't want to start with that one. I want to do these others. He's like, no, that's where you're starting. And, and the, the why that I think he wants to answer today is why is he called us to love? 
Why has he called us to love? And, and the first real simple answer is this, because he's called us to be like him, be conformed to his image, and he's a lover. He is a pure, radical lover because he's love. And he, uh, the whole Bible is really a love story of pursuit of you. But, but he wants us to understand why we love and what it produces in our life instead of just saying, hey, out of practical and radical obedience, you just need to love everyone. Or you need to love God, right? One of our big sayings, hey, Jesus, I love you with all my heart. That is not something that comes out of obedience. That is something that comes out of radical partnership of knowing him. You can't fake it. You can't fake that saying. You can't fake that lifestyle. Why? Because when you say it, you, if you don't mean it, you can feel it. And when you do mean it and you, there's a unity, you can also feel it. So well, you're talking a whole lot about feeling. I'm just saying feelings are part of it. And so we begin to understand this, and, and I, I want to start with this idea. So because a lover to me was always not a natural thing, right? So Elizabeth and I, when we first got in the ministry, we were at a church where there was a lot of prophecy and a lot of people declaring who you were, almost to the place if you weren't prophesying, it wasn't good. I'm not saying everything there was wrong or right. I'm just saying it was an interesting season for us who were trying to develop who we were and what God. But one of the things that began to happen is people began to prophesy over me a lot that I was a warrior. And you know, that's kind of like shooting fish in a barrel. Because we're all called to be warriors, right? And so, man, they're like prophesying, hey, you've got the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. And, hey, man, you're going to put your foot on the neck of the enemy and all those things. I loved it, right? Because it was easy for me to recognize that. That's kind of my personality. Man, let's go kick some devils in the head, you know. Let's go win the world. Let's go change the world. And, and then I'll never forget one day a guy had me stand up and he goes, man, you are a warrior. And I'm like, here it comes. And he goes, but God wants to say to you that in this season, he says you're a lover. I'm like, what? I'm a warrior. <laughs> and he was like, no, no, no. He's like, in order to war in the way that you're called to, you've got to learn to be a lover. And it started a journey. Why? Because he didn't want me to just do things for the kingdom. He wanted me to know the king. He wanted me to love the king. He wanted me to know. And he began to adjust and say, no, I need you to understand that love is your main gift. It's going to be love for the Father. It's going to be love for the Son. It's going to be love for the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be love for his body. And he, and he began to radically do that. And so I just want to tell you that we're all called to excel in love. And so I'm going to just real quickly just go over some scriptures about the why of love, right? Because I don't want you to just come out of here saying, well, he said it, so I better do it. I want you to know the why today. So that you walk out of here loving Jesus more today. Why? Because he, I'm, he's going to show us who he is and what he wants to do. So turn with me. We're going to start in John, 1 John. If you're going to talk about love, probably got to start in 1 John, right? Tell him using a different Bible than last night. This one is simply profound. 1 John 4, 19. Now remember, 
the answer to Mark was, hey, why are we doing this? And I would always start with because, right? And the scripture is full of that. He wants to tell us why we're doing things. And listen to 1 John 19. It says, we love. Why? Because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And this is such an important place because I I want you to understand that everything that God is asking us to do, he has actually enabled us to do. He never asks you to do anything that you are not enabled by him to do. He's saying, hey, I need you to be a full-out lover of me. Like Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he's saying, how do you do that? Well, you have to have the revelation that you're loved. You will never be able to do it. Man, I've seen people strive to love after God and love God's people. And if they don't have the revelation that God first loved them, they never fulfill what they're called to. See, he's enabled us to do the things that we were created for. And and what we begin to have to understand is if we're called to be lovers, we have to be receivers of his love. It doesn't come one way. This is a two-way street. He's saying, hey, I want you to be a lover, and you don't even know how in your nature. So I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you my love. I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to pour it out on you, even when you're not expecting it. Listen, he says he's poured out his love on our hearts in Romans 5. He's saying, I want to come and pour my love out on you. I want to show you that I loved you first. Oh, I also want to show you that my love is not contingent on your actions and behavior. This is a big one, guys. If you think that you only get God's love when you're behaving well, it will keep you from your destiny. His, his love is never ending. And he's, and he's saying, I have love for you that you get to experience behave well or not. I'm going to give you my love. It's based on me. It's based on my nature. It's based on who I am, not on your behavior. And he's saying, I need you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the only way you can do it is to receive my love. I want to give it to you. I want to show you how to love. I want to show you what it looks like to be loved. Remember that Corinthians tells us that the greatest force on earth is love. And he's not requiring you to drum it up, to stir it up. He's saying, I want you to experience my love. If you're here today and you don't know the love of God, you know about Jesus, you know, listen, Jesus is the manifestation of the love of God. You know about the Father and like, man, I want to go to heaven. Listen, I want you to do way more than heaven. I want you to know what heaven looks like when you get there. I want you to know what the Father looks like when you get there. Not a surprise like, man, I know I've been here because I'm loved and he's welcomed me into the family. And we begin to understand that. I wrote this down. He wants to show us the depth of his heart. Not simply tell us what to do, but give us the why. He wants you to know the depth of his heart. Listen, you will never be free if you don't know how he feels about you. It's impossible to know your identity. It's impossible to fulfill your destiny if you don't know how he feels about you. Why? Because the, the enemy is always telling you the opposite of what God feels about you. And so we have to be able to grasp this. Hey, because he loved me first, 
I'm going to love. I could go on this forever. I really could. Because, well, first of all, love is easy to preach on. But second of all, I want you to understand that everything else we talk about comes from this place, that because he loved me first, I can now love. Second thing. Y'all hanging in there? He's called us to increase in love. And, and I, I, wanted, I want you to see why. He's always, why. first of all, the, the kingdom is a, a kingdom of increase. He didn't call you into a kingdom that once you know something about it, it's, it you got it. You, you can always be learning more about the kingdom of God. You can always be learning more about faith. You can always be learning more about hope. You can always be learning more about peace. Why? Because they're alive. And, and he's saying, hey, I want you to excel in love. And so turn with me to Philippians. Philippians 1.9. Philippians 1.9 says this. This is Paul talking to the church of Philippi. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that or because I want you to be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Listen, there's a place where he wants, to, he wants to fill you up and you begin to understand the love of God. Then he's saying, now I need you to increase in it. Why? Because this increase is actually going to create amazing things for you in your life. He's saying, don't just experience my love once. Like, I always like to use this example. Don't experience the love that you I mean, don't expect the love that you experienced at salvation to be your high moment. That's your beginning. He's saying, that's just the beginning. Now I want to show you how much I love you. I want you to increase in love. I want you to increase in how you love people and your wife and your kids. Listen, this is super practical. Sometimes people are like, how practical is that? Listen, you increase in love, everyone in your sphere will know it. It will change the way you live. And, and he's saying, hey, I want you to increase. And he says, I, and the word increase right there means I want you to superabound. I want you to have excess love. God is not a God of just enough. He always wants to give us more than we think we can hold. Why? He wants to cram us so full that it just overflows. He said, I want you to increase that way. In what? In knowledge. He actually says, I want you to be, the word knowledge there actually means to, to begin to fully discern. He wants you to be able to fully discern what's going on. Now, wouldn't you think that to fully discern, you need the gift of prophecy or wisdom or knowledge? He actually says, no, that's not what you need to excel in to fully discern. You need to excel in love. I'm not saying we won't have those things, but how do you know those things without love are what? Corinthians tells us it's it's like a symbol going off. Clanging symbol, not even a good one in tune. Saying it doesn't work that way. All the gifts flow through love. Everything I have for you, I want you to be able to discern and knowledge and depth of insight. Those are, that's what it's saying. Recognize what's going on in your situation. Again, I, I just want to say this. God does not want us living a blind Christian life. Don't embrace the fact that you have to have blind faith. Faith takes you to the unknown. 
But where you've been should be an understanding. And where you're walking, you should have a recognition of what God is doing. And he's saying, I do that through love. I'm giving you love so that you'll be able to discern. Just click over to verse 10, Beth. So that, or because, you may be able to discern what's best. He doesn't want you to just know what's going on. He wants you to know the very best for that moment. How many love the best? The best things. Like, you know, there's like supermarket brisket, and then there's like Lockhart brisket, right? (laughs) Anyone ever needed to to discern the difference? One was cooked months ago and frozen. It's still brisket. I mean, to northerners, they think it's great. (laughs) If you're from north north of the Mason-Dixon line, sorry, y'all just don't know what barbecue is. But discerning what's right and then knowing what's best. And the minute you've had what's best, you're like, I want that. And then, and then you begin to understand that, hey, I'm called to live in the world of best. And I think a terrible theology they've gotten in the church is if it's hard, it's good. I actually just want to suggest to you that actually what he's saying here is, I've actually called to live a life of best. And if you understand what's best, then the world will actually recognize, look at the blessing on their life, they're always walking in what's best. They love the finer things. They understand what's best. They've recognized what God has them for. Maybe for you, it's even finding the perfect place of your destiny, who you're called to, what it looks like to run with the people you're called to, and that's your best. Listen, those are only discovered by an increase of love. And that's why he wants us to love. It's not just, hey, just love me. Why? Because you should, and I'm a supreme God, and you're little weak beings. He's saying, no, I want you to love so that these things can begin to bear fruit in your life. Oh, and the last thing, he wants us to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Hey, no, that's some good words. He's actually saying, hey, if you love me, it'll keep the junk of the world and the plan of the enemy off of you. It doesn't say you have to fight all those things off all the time saying, just love me. The saying I said earlier today, feast on me, feasting is fighting. Feast on my love. All right, number three, we're almost there. Hang in there. Back to 1 John. Why does he want us to love? Not just because we should. 1 John 3. Let me, let me tell you what the point's going to be, then I'm going to read you the verse, because I want it to be clear. That the reason he wants us to love is because he wants to bring us into supernatural life. How many of you want to be supernaturally full alive, like we talked about all in the first part of the year? Fully alive in him, where death has no hold, decay, all the plan of the enemy. It actually says in this verse, if we love, it will actually move us into supernatural life. Listen to what 3.14 says. It says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers or sisters. Actually, I wish it said right there, because we love our family. 
Uh, I love that translation. Different what I have there. But what I want you to understand is this, is that it, he's calling us to be a place that the love in our life is so affecting us that we're living in supernatural life. He's saying death has no hold on you. And the interesting thing is death has a false reality on earth because Jesus says he's already taken its sting. It's already taken the power of death. But the enemy has false authority he's trying to put on us, and it's called death. And he said, I want you to live in such a supernatural life that what's coming out of you looks different than everybody else. And the only way that he's going to do that is love. Have you noticed that judgment never causes people to want to come to you? I mean, it sounds so simple, but the church has lived in judgment for all these years when Jesus said, hey, I came for love. I came to love. And you're like, well, what about the day of judgment? I think there will be a day of judgment, and I think a lot of us are going to get judged innocent. Just let that sink in. Judgment doesn't always mean guilty. The judge can actually say, wow, innocent. And he's saying, that's what the love of God means. He's going to declare every one of you innocent if you've asked Jesus into your life. And he's saying, I want you to give that love away so other people can experience it. And then guess what? You're going to be in a supernatural lifestyle. We talk so much about the supernatural lifestyle. It's based on love. Okay, last one. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. We're almost there, I promise. I didn't say we're almost done. I just said we're almost there. <laughs> Where's there? Out there. See, he doesn't want us just to increase in love. He actually wants us to be excellent or excel in love. And, and it's going to show us how and why here in this verse. And so 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For Christ's love compels us. So we've already got this love working in us, and it's actually compelling us to live, right? The word compel actually means that, that you are totally convinced that the love of God is at work in your life, and it's, it's driving you. It's your motivation. It's your determination. It's what's compelling you to live. But then what's it say next? It says, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. See, we have to understand that as we begin to experience the love of God, just what I was talking about, loving others, you're going to begin to recognize that everyone is a recipient of the love of God. Everyone. He died for all. And, and if you have a theology that, hey, well, you know, I don't know if Jesus came for that one because they're predestined. Listen, get out of eternity and just recognize that he died for all. Titus actually says this, the grace of God came to appear to all men. He has offered the grace to everyone. Everyone in here, all of you have tasted of the grace of God, right? If you haven't, come see me afterwards. But also he's saying, hey, I, have, I want you to understand that I died for everyone. Why? So you can love everyone well. I need you to be excellent in love. And the only way to be excellent in love is to know that I came for everyone. If you don't know that, then you won't be in pursuit of everyone. You'll have to ask God, like, God, do you love this one? Like, come on now. He said, I love them, and I need you to catch the heart of why I came for them. I need you to begin to see that. And he's saying, you're going to be excellent in love, and my, my love is going to compel you for people. 
Listen to the next verse, though. It's amazing. It says, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. He's actually saying there is such a place that the love of God is going to drive you, and you're going to live for him. I mean, I know so many of us have raised our hands and said, God, we want to live for you, right? I'm going to give you everything. Here's our all. I've seen you all do it. I love it. Now he's saying the way I want to do that, though, is I want to increase loving you. He's saying you don't have to try harder. Elizabeth said something yesterday. Uh, Damaris had a coach four or five years ago in soccer. He was a terrible coach. He was awful. His favorite thing to yell from the sideline was try harder. How do you know that, first of all, that's a mega demotivator if you're trying your hardest. And also it teaches you nothing. Try harder. What if God were up there and he was just saying, hey, Lila, I need you to try harder. What? I'm doing my best. He's saying, no, I need you to receive my love. Just receive my love. I need you to grow and excel in my love. And all these other things, the things that I've called you to do to live for me, where you, you've, I know you've committed your life, I just want to give you the love to be able to do that. I want to be able to give you the love in your heart so you can actually fulfill even the commitments you've made to me. I will fulfill them for you. See, it says it's God that fulfills our purpose. And I've always been confused by that until I began to understand that, no, it's because he puts so much love in us that it creates a passion to do the things he's asked us to do. That's excellent love. Causes you to live a different way. So how do we end this? How do we land this plane, right? Well, I believe this, that, that God is so wanting us to understand that he's not asking you to do anything out of practical obedience. He's wanting to show you. And I, I want to address one thing. I skipped it last night accidentally, and I skipped it again this morning. Clearly my notes weren't good on that. But the place of asking why in a negative sense is not out of childlikeness. And I, so I just want to revisit that for just a minute. The ability and the place of asking why is a place of childlikeness where we get to come to the Father and just say, God, I know you're, you want me to read the word, why? And guess what? He wants to answer that. Or I know you, you're asking me to, to just pursue you in this way. Why, why and what are we doing here? But then the other place of, of demanding God the why, like hard times, you're like, why is this going on? Have you noticed you rarely get an answer for that? Why? Because God's not to be manipulated. And, and he won't let that why be answered. First of all, there's so much mystery in him, and I'm just totally okay with mystery. But the other side of it is I, I found that asking why that's not out of childlikeness never gets an answer. And I know this isn't as exciting as what I said earlier, but I want you to understand because, listen, he, he is, we are in a season of asking why, but not why to the place where it's coming out of pain and hurt. He's saying, no, out of a why of a childlike wonder to say, hey, God, what, what, why are we doing this right now? He says, I'll show you. Why are we worshiping right now? Oh, let me show you why. Let me show you what's going on in heaven. Let me show you what's going on in eternity. Let me show you what it looked like for breakthrough. Let me show you all these things. And so everybody understand the difference in those two whys? Yeah. 
Why? Because, <laughs> why? Because one produces death. And we all know people that are stuck in the angry why. I know because sometimes I'll be talking to people and they'll just be like, well, why did this happen? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, you don't have to fake an answer to people. Please don't. That's hurt us more than anything is fake answers. Just say, I don't know, but I know God's good. I know his love. And man, that will diffuse so many things. I go, why is my life in shambles? I know it doesn't have to be in moments. So I'm going to ask you to stand up. We're going to end like this. Why are we to be lovers? Because he first loved us, right? So I want you just to, if you're comfortable with this, just put your hands out. We're just going to receive more of his love. Say, well, I know about his love. Know about his love today. Say, well, I knew about it even an hour ago, isn't it? Know about it right now. It's always increasing. So we just receive your love right now, Jesus. We receive who you are, and you are love. Father, we thank you that you don't have to produce love. You are love. So we just receive your love for us right now. Lord, we want to be radical lovers of you and of others and of your body and of the world. We, we love all those people, but we just say we want to start by knowing that we're loved by you more. We receive your love right now, God. I just declare that receiving his love will produce loving him with all of our heart. So we just receive who you are, Jesus. Thank you that you want to just tell us why you've asked us to do things. You want to make us strong. You want to, you want to give us understanding, Lord. So we just receive your understanding right now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You're on the go? All right. All right. Well, are we going to side? I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing something. <laughs> Just let them know we're going to be. Yeah, they're going to be going to the back. Um, I feel like there's some people in here that are hearing love, but God's wanting to tangibly release it. And I feel like it's going to come even the form of dreams at night. Come on. So I'm just going to release that. God, we just thank you that you are love, that it's not just an action, it's who you are. Father, we just thank you for just dreams and visions of who you are. God, that you're going to be revealing yourself not just in, in knowledge, but supernatural encounter that changes people's lives. So we release that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Bless you guys.